well. I guess this morning, um, we're going to start in James, but we're going to do a little bit of a little bit of a, a, an overview, let's say. Um, quite often, as, as I'm thinking about this study and some of the questions that are coming in, uh, I think there's a little bit of teaching and, and connection that needs to, to kind of be had here before, before we get, get to some of the preaching, and, and that's always a good thing. Uh, our Wednesday nights and, and Sunday nights, um, we sometimes have new believers, right? And we have believers that, that maybe didn't sit in, in Sunday school, and, and myself would have been one of them, uh, who don't have, have this Genesis to Revelation connection, don't have these, uh, these awarenesses of, of what's going on. And so part of, part of what we're going to do for a couple Sunday mornings, and it may just kind of evolve into to some of this too, is just to work through and connect these dots. And so hopefully you have a pen, um, hopefully you have uh, one of these half sheets of paper, I'm going to continue to, to put those out, it's going to be a two-fold thing, by the time we're done this study we're going to have a good resource. Um, that being said, Edward's posting the documents for those that are watching online as well, so they can pull that up and, and study uh, as well with that. But uh, even just for ourselves, because we're all called to make disciples, right? And, and what you got in your hands, indeed, and I may have to jump down and find one with the diagram, um, is something you can work through yourself again. Yeah, I'll, I'll come down. Something you can work through yourself again, something you can work through with your grandkids, with, with a new believer, um, with, with a spouse that, uh, you know, maybe, maybe isn't, too, uh, too keen on coming in Sunday mornings. Um, but you have, you, have, you have the dots connected. And my brother-in-law last night, we were talking a little bit of theology, and he was going, it frustrates me so much because all people need to do is read their Bibles. And so these, these connections here and this, this piece of paper with the diagram and that, that just connected the dots. So I'm going to pray, and uh, yeah, we're just going to step into this this morning. Dearly Father, we thank you for this morning. Lord, I thank you just, well, for the worship. Lord, I thank you for the time that, that we can just open your word and, and learn and grow. Lord, I look over the, the, the room this morning, and uh, I recognize that, that some, some haven't, spent, haven't spent time in your church. Some, some are, are new to the faith, or some are... Some, some, some think we're born in a church, Lord, and, and, and are, are up in years. And, and Lord, we thank you for those testimonies too. But Lord, as we approach your word this morning, I pray that you would connect dots. As we read scriptures and we, we recognize these principles that you put before us of what the Jews were anticipating and what we as the, the church anticipate, Lord, I pray that you connect that for us. I really believe with all my heart that, that because accountability has been missed, that's why the church is in the shape that it's in. Lord, that's why Christian homes are, are, are where they're at. Lord, the, the accountability needs to be returned to the fact that, that we'll stand before you one day and answer. And I pray that um, you just uh, connect the dots and that we'd have fun doing this. And I pray these things in your name. Amen. So beginning in James chapter 1, and I'll get there here myself, 
Um, last week we went through there a bondservant, that willing, willing slave to God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, again, that, that Lord, that title, resurrected. And where is Jesus now? Sitting at the right hand of the Father. Um, maybe just for a second, take that, those notes and you see that fancy diagram that we have there. Right? You see it, Alaska? Yeah? Um, I'm trying to put on half sheets so you can keep it in your Bible. So just starting, we have from the, working from your left to the right, we've got creation. You see Adam. My eyes aren't very good, so I'm going to, I see a figure. That's Adam. Um, we see Abraham and Moses as you follow through that. Um, you follow it across. It's not that much different than the timeline we worked through um, prior. But I want us to, to come across to the cross um, right underneath times past. You see it, Lawrence? Times past, see the cross. Can you see the ascension, right? Acts chapter 1 goes straight up. We read that last week. Um, then we have the time of the church. Okay? The Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Peter preaches to the Jews. You see Stephen. Boy, Stephen looks skinny compared to the rest of them. And we got a skinny Stephen. Um, Stephen, what happens to Stephen? He's stoned, right? Um, with rocks. I'm going to let's clarify that. I made a bad joke the once, but anyway. Um, so Stephen is stoned with rocks, okay? And we see um, the, the church age. We see the dispersion from that. And uh, we see what we call the dispensation of grace, the church, the body of Christ. Okay? And that was a, a mystery. You see it at the bottom? It was a mystery through the Old Testament. Um, the, the, the prophets, they, they looked into the things. Even the angels looked into what, what it's speaking of. So we're in the church age. Okay? Um, so what are we anticipating? You see the arrow that's going up with the word rapture in it? All right, that is the next event in God's program. And that's the next thing there. Like we're, we're living that any moment we're going to stand in Christ's presence. Now, most of the time that's a comfort when we're going through suffering and, and trials and pressures from the world, but, but it's also meant to be an accountability, right? That you not be found ashamed at his coming, right? That you find in boldness at his coming. We see the apostles continually. So, so we're not allowed to live our lives however we want here because at any moment we can stand, we'll stand before the king, the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll stand before the judge, right? Because we're raptured. And again, the, the Walverd and, and Jeremiah, they all say shortly after the rapture, what happens? The judgment seat of Christ, where our works, right? It's all about what we do in this life, will be judged. And we see that uh, up at the top with the fancy little cloud there. Um, 2 Corinthians 5.10 is what it says. Um, Romans 14 is another text. And 1 Corinthians 3, where we just read, that's the, the three major um, passages for that. What follows the rapture? Seven-year tribulation, right? Three and a half years of, of relevant peace, we'll say, and then the great tribulation, the end of that, where, where the, the bottom is just pulled out of her and it just gets bad in a hurry. Then what happens after the, after the tribulation? Second coming of Christ. Right? We return with Christ and he, he institutes, right? he inaugurates his messianic kingdom of God for how long? A thousand years. All right? um, are we walking around in spiritual forms at that time? No, we have glorified bodies. Right? We're just, just, just like the first Adam before he sinned. We're, we're, we're breathing 
We're eating, not out of necessity. You know, like we're, we're enjoying creation as Jesus is bringing it back. And that's important because that's where we'll, we'll, we'll use our inheritance. That's when we'll find our positions. And you'll notice the eternal state isn't on this diagram. So if you want to write it up, uh, up the side, then that's your Revelation 21. So what are we anticipating as a church? The rapture. What immediately follows the rapture? We stand before the judgment seat. Right? We, we, that, that's where we receive our inheritance or loss. That's where we have our works. That's where we are judged for the life that we lived. Okay? So it's, it's important. That's our accountability. And, and James is the same thing. But for this morning, I just want to pursue, and then we'll touch on that at the end. It says, James, a bondservant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. So James is writing to what audience? Jewish audience, right? And it's all full of, of Jewish um, illustrations and things that they would understand. So this 12 tribes, um, does that mean anything really to us? It should. It's all through Scripture. But as Gentiles, we're not, we're not appealing to the 12 tribes as much. But for someone who... Who, who, who loves the Word of God and, and Israel. I mean, the Word of God is everything to them. The Holy Scriptures is everything for them. Um, there's a lot in this greeting to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. So we're going to pursue that this morning. Um, so just with your notes, and, and again, I'm just going to work through this um, with you. Question, what did this mean to the Jewish reader, to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad? I thought to myself, the Jewish people loved the scriptures, right? They loved them. I mean, this was their, they, they, they died for them. I mean, it, to, to blaspheme the word of God was death in, in Judaism. The Jewish people loved the scriptures, therefore they knew the scriptures. And that's, that's an important thing. That's a challenge in itself. The Jewish people knew their scriptures. And this meant a lot to the ones that knew the scriptures and God's program. Now, I've flirted it that way because where does indifference lead the people of God to the Word of God? Wait, like if, if, if God's people are indifferent to the Word of God, where does that lead them? Yeah, it's just, they're just indifferent to the things of God. They, they couldn't be bothered. They're, 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 there's a floating through, and, and, and we're not really concerned about it. Right? We, see, we see society there kind of collapsing from that. I mean, they loved the Word of God, and, and, and they knew the Word of God, and that's really, really important. I, I thought about this week a little bit, because there's a lot about, and Edward mentioned it, or Tuesday night, about fascination of end times. Right? I'm not looking like, there's a lot of, like David Jeremiah, I think on my Facebook, I mean, every other pop-up is David Jeremiah and something that he's, he's written, and I mean, that's, that's awesome. But we have to understand, and there's a bump in that concrete, isn't there? <laughs> we have to understand that to study the last days, you have to study the promises and applications from the beginning of days. You have to see it from the beginning, and that's what we're going to do this morning. So my, my comment this morning before we step into this is slow down studying the tribulation things that don't apply to you and start studying the things that do, or the things that do. So we're going to begin our study in Genesis chapter 12, looking at these 12 tribes. Okay, and why is this so important for, for the Jewish audience that James is writing to? So turn with me to Genesis chapter 12. And if you're using your own Bible, you're allowed to lick your fingers. 
I think, right? <laughs> Just don't share your Bible if you're doing licking or spitting. <laughs> all right, so Genesis chapter 12, all right? This is, this is where the beginnings, and I'd say the, the, almost the first mention of the tribes of Israel begins. Um, we, we know it well. Um, this is the first reference really there that's speaking to the, the coming messianic kingdom, the thousand-year reign, and it's the narrative of Abram, right, who was a pagan, right? He was a Gentile. Uh, he didn't have the scriptures. He, he didn't have the law. He didn't have God's sacrificial system. He was a pagan living in Ur, and uh, that's a fascinating study. But he says, now the Lord had said to Abram, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. Abram's first thing is he's called to separate. Get away from the godlessness. Get away from the paganism. Get away from the, the, the world's agenda and separate yourself for God. Right? So that's the beginning. Before you even begin to think of faithfulness, uh, I will make you a great nation. Right? Multitudes of people. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse you who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And in that families, I mean, we, we've got the, the 12 tribes of Israel. Right? In that there, we've got the, the Gentiles. In that, you've got the mystery of the church. I mean, through, through Abraham's call... Right? We're, we're grafted into these promises. Right? It's looking forward to the kingdom of God. So really, beginning with Abram's call as a pagan, we have the beginning of the 12 tribes. Now, as James is writing, is Abram important to the Jew? Well, it's everything. I mean, it was like Abram and then Moses, and then you, know, you start going, I mean, Abram, yeah, yeah, that's our beginning. That covenant is us. So the 12 scattered tribes, I mean, yeah, we belong. We are the, the sons of Abraham. And we won't do the song. Many sons, many sons. Of, okay, people that know it, okay. But we have, we have our beginning. So with that there, we're going we're gonna to jump to the end of the book. Genesis chapter 40, 49. And you've got the references there on the, on the paper, so you can look at this later. So I'm not worried about going too, too fast. But here we have Jacob... Right, so we've got Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, third, third patriarch. Okay, we have Jacob that is... <laughs> we have Jacob who's on his deathbed. All right, and it is a fascinating study, just to even think there, that, that in, in some of his last breaths, right, he's got his family around him, and he's affirming God's covenant. He, he's explaining to them. Now, we know there's a prophetic... Um, nature to the blessing here too there but but he's directing the attention of these 12 boys to who to God with his last breaths right and in Genesis chapter 49 um, we've got verse 10 speaks to the scepter shall not depart from Judah nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes and to him shall be the obedient of the people that's a messianic that that's referring to Christ but I want you to notice verse 16 Dan shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Now, there's something important about first mentions, right? And this would be the first time that we find that, that word, the Hebrew word, tribes, right? And, and tribes have leaders, and, and we know that there's 12 of them. So this, this would have been very much on the Jewish mind 
as James is writing to the 12 scattered tribes. Oh yes, okay, the, the beginnings of this. If you turn over to verse 28 of Genesis 20 or 49, um, after the blessing is done, all these are the 12 tribes of Israel. And this is what their father spoke to them. And he blessed them and he blessed each one according to his own blessing. So out of Abraham, we have um, this Jewish nation um, growing out with the patriarchs. And from that, we find there this model of 12 tribes, all right? 12 tribes who are promised a coming kingdom, right? A coming messianic kingdom. Read Genesis 50, verse 24 with me. And Joseph said to his brethren, I am dying, but God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land, okay, so they're in Egypt, to the land which he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. So what is this land? They're in Egypt. What is this promised land that God promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Land of Canaan, and then it changes to Israel, all right? And then after the, the rapture and after the tribulation, right, that is where Christ is going to rule for a thousand years. So that is where the messianic kingdom, now the boundaries are a little bit different, we could get into that, um, but that is where Christ is going to rule in that promised land, in Canaan, in Israel, in the messianic kingdom. So whenever it's talking about 12 tribes, it's not just like, oh yeah, I know, I know those names, there's a whole picture, there's a whole promise, there's a whole covenant attached to this as James is writing this. Starts back in Genesis, and guess what? Goes right to Revelation, all right? And that's where we're, we're, that's where we're headed. So we've got Genesis out of the way. Um, we understand, and we won't, we won't turn there, but we understand Joshua. We know the narrative. Um, Joshua, uh, they entered the land, but they didn't conquer the whole land, the whole land of Canaan, did they? They left some tribes, Right? They failed to obey, and we watch, well, they failed to teach the next generation. Right? And Judges, the book of Judges, opens up with what? There arose a generation that did not know God. Right? They failed to obey, they failed to teach the next generation, and then all of a sudden you have this godless generation. Um, for 400 years, in the last chapter of of, of Judges. It talks about every man did what was right in his own eyes. And they completely rejected God. And this is, this is the tribes of Israel doing that. I mean, they, they went from a promised nation to a godless nation. And I mean, I can't help but think there. I mean, if Israel can do it with all that God did, is it possible for Canada to become a godless nation? I mean, we're not above that. <laughs> I mean, if anything, we're, we're, we're a lot closer than we think, right? And I think our heads have been in the sand a little bit to recognize. And we were talking Saturday morning, even, and I say North America as a whole, because parents are, are losing their minds at what kids are being taught down in the States. And, and really, Canadians should be losing their minds too, right? The godlessness and the changes that are going on. We're in a godless nation, which means, guess what? More testing, more trials are coming as we stand up. Um, but that's not the direction we're heading. So 400 years, every man did what was right in his own eyes. Then we enter into Samuel. Right? Guess what? And this is just the, the narrative. The 12 tribes wanted a human king. 
<laughs> you want an interesting read? 1 Samuel chapter 8. Because God's like, Samuel, no, you don't. And God says, this, this is what that human king's going to do. Right? Taxes. We all love taxes. Right? He's, going to, he's going to take your children and force them to work in his agenda. Right? You're going to work for him. You're going to fight his battles, whether you like it or not. That's what a human king will do. Well, they wanted him anyway, and we know Saul comes onto the picture. Praise the Lord for David. Um, 2 Samuel chapter 7. Let's just turn there real quick. That's why I put it on paper, so you can go home and follow it along. 2 Samuel chapter 7. David's, David's finally found some stability in his life and, and his love for the Lord. David was not a perfect man, but he loved the Lord. And he kept coming back, and there's that repentant, repentant heart. And uh, we find him wanting to build the temple. And God says, no, 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 no. Your, your hands are covered in blood. Right? Your son's going to do it. But I see your heart, right? And he gives David a promise. Um, 2 Samuel 7, verse 13 uh, he shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Right? He's talking about um, Samuel and then Samuel Solomon, and then prophetically, it's looking forward to the kingdom that's coming. Right, a forever kingdom. Right, when when is that forever kingdom? The thousand-year messianic reign of Christ. Where does that take place? Is it up in the in the by and by? No, it's, it's, it's on earth, right? We'll be walking around in glorified bodies, um, eating, enjoying music. Um, it's not eating out of necessity. I don't, I don't even know where that originated from. But, but anyway, if Adam ate in the garden, you not think there that us will we'll enjoy eating too? There's going to be a little bit of that. Singing, music, maybe I'll be an artist. I'll paint with colors even better than Chris I can. Um, no, she's saying no. But anyway, like, like, just, just, just catch this. The bodily, right? On earth, literal, physical, and, and that kingdom forever, that thousand years, and then the eternal state will come in. Um, verse 16, And your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. For your throne shall be established forever. There's a lot of forevers in there. How long's forever, Alaska? Forever. Who is he talking to? Talking to David and the lineage that comes. This is important because we're going to be in Ezekiel here in a second. And you're going to see that the, the, this promise is coming, coming through. So we have the, the eternal kingdom, the messianic kingdom promise. And then David's son Solomon takes the throne. Um, Solomon, now I put this intentionally. Was Solomon God's appointed leader? Yeah, I mean, he was in succession. God appeared to him twice, um, did a lot of great things, built the temple, right? God's leader on the throne over the nation. But what happened to Solomon, God's leader, God's king? What happened? Something took hold of his heart. Right? His heart, something started leading him away. Well, we better, better turn and, and read, read what it was, 1 Kings. So the next, just after 2 Samuel, 1 Kings. 1 Kings 11. The only reason I'm mentioning that is because history, Israel, humanity, 
How many, how many godly leaders did Israel and Judah have in their history? I think they only had a half a dozen good ones. Right? The, the human leadership, yes, they're in that place, but they still answer to God. And guess what? They weren't leading for God. And we still see a, 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 just a, a, a tyrant of mess because the people are following the, the king as they're leading in fleshly things and worldly things. So Solomon's heart turns from the Lord. And I think I can read this quickly. Um, 1 Kings chapter 11. But King Solomon loved many foreign women. Wow, that's disaster waiting to happen. Be disaster to love many local women too, wouldn't it, Josh? <laughs> anyway, bad humor. But King Solomon loved many foreign women, as well as the daughter of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites, from the nations of whom the Lord had said to the children of Israel, You shall not intermarry with them, nor they with you. Surely they will turn away your heart after their gods, right? false gods, Satan's traps and agenda. Solomon clung to these in love. Right? His heart, heart desired that. I mean, he was like, yes. And he had 700 wives, Alaska, 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines. And what did they do? His wives turned away his heart. So here I have God's leader, built the temple, you know, uh, inaugurated the temple, had the big ceremony, living for, for the Lord, but he chose sin, chose disobedient, and these things led his heart away from the Lord. For it was so when Solomon was old that his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God, as was the heart of his father David." Solomon's going to stand, well, he's standing before Christ. I mean, he, he's had to answer for these decisions. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. Um, and Solomon did evil on the side of the Lord and did not fully follow the Lord, as did his father David. Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, on the hill that was east of Jerusalem. So this is around God's holy city. And for Molech, the abomination of the people of Ammon. And we know there that Molech, that, that involved the burning of babies, right? The sacrifice of life. I mean, that, that's how vile and wicked this godlessness was. And he did likewise for all his foreign wives who burn incense and sacrifice to their gods. So the Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned from the Lord God of Israel who had appeared to him twice. And he commanded him concerning this thing, that he should not go after other gods, but he did not keep what the Lord had commanded. Now, this is the king over the twelve tribes of Israel. So that's, that's why we're reading it. He's the king over the twelve tribes of Israel. Now let's see what happens because of this leader's sin. Therefore the Lord said to Solomon, Because you have done this thing, and have not kept my covenant, my statutes, which I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom away from you and give it to your servant. Nevertheless, I will not do it in your days for the sake of your father David. I will tear it out of the hand of your son. However, I will not tear away the whole kingdom. So not the whole 12 tribes. I will give one tribe to your son for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. What was the one tribe? Judah. And we understand little Benjamin was nestled, nestled in there too. Right? But the northern ten tribes of Israel, 
they're going to be torn from that kingdom, all right? So separate. So all of a sudden we have this division in the kingdom. Uh, we could go through the history of the kings, but we see as James is writing to the 12 tribes, what just happened here when Solomon's reign? The kingdom has just been split. Well, as James is writing, it's 12 tribes. They seem unified. Well, when, when do you think they're the 12 tribes are going to be unified? In the kingdom of God. God promises all through Scripture, and we'll see it, that, that God is going to gather and draw in the scattered, right, and restore. So we have the division here. Turn with me to 2 Kings 17. Second Kings, 17, verse 18. Well, maybe, maybe we'll start up a little bit. Now, I did write down the years here. Solomon, 622. Just under 300 years. Just under 300 years. Um, we have a whole list of, of horrible history. Um, but if we were to begin in verse 14, 2 Kings 17, it says, Nevertheless, they would not hear God sending them prophets, God warning them. Um, Isaiah is preaching at this time. Nevertheless, they would not hear, but stiffened their necks like the necks of their fathers who did not believe in the Lord their God. Can you imagine being God's chosen nation and not believing in the Lord God? <laughs> it, uh, you have to change their anthem. <laughs> I was silly, but I mean, it's... And they rejected his statutes and his covenant that he had made with their fathers and his testimonies, which he had testified against them. They followed idols, became adulterers, and went after the nations who were all around them. So they, they, they attached themselves to the world. They pursued the things of the world. Um, concerning whom the Lord had charged them that they should not do like them. So see that clear separation. Verse 16. So they left all the commandments of the Lord their God. Stepped away from the word made themselves a molded image and two calves, made a wooden image and worshipped all the hosts of heaven and served Baal, and they caused their sons and daughters to pass through the fire, practice witchcraft and soothsaying, and sold themselves to do evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. Right? Passing their children in the fire was taking their, their infants and putting them in that brazen, heated up, red hot, let's say their bowl, and watching them scream and burn to death. They chose that life rather than obeying God. We see how hard people's hearts can get. We say what, see what Satan does. And I mean, we, we are living in a society. And since the beginning, I don't want to get on this rabbit trail, but when did life become so important? Well, we've been living in a society for the last 30 years where abortion and euthanasia and, and all these different things there have come in. Society doesn't care about life unless it's their own. Right? That's because they, 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 they don't believe in God. They've stepped away from the word of God. There's nothing leading them. So what happens in verse 18? Therefore the Lord was very angry with Israel okay, and removed them from his sight. There was none left but the tribe of Judah alone. And this is Assyria. They come in. And history teaches us and then the word teaches us that... Uh, they're led away with hooks, hooks in their mouths. I mean, they went into slavery. Uh, but then we see Judah, and just skimming over for the sake of time, to verse 21. Judah is not heeding 
the word of the Lord. So you have 722, and then 100 years later, roughly, um, we have Nebuchadnezzar coming in and taking Judah out of the picture. But verse 21 says, For he tore Israel from the house of David, and they made Jeroboam the son of Nebat king. Then Jeroboam drove Israel from following the Lord and made them commit a great sin. For the children of Israel walked in the sins of Jeroboam, which he did. They did not depart from them. Verse 23, until the Lord removed Israel out of his sight. Who removed? God did. Removed his chosen nation out of his sight. And again, I ask, is Canada, is North America above that? We're only 200 plus years old, right? We're not above God saying, you know what? You won't follow me, you're done. Right? I'll give you over to your sin nature. I'll give you over to what you want. Romans 1 talks about that. And he said by all his servants, the prophets, so Israel was carried away from their own land to Assyria as it is this day. So we have that division and the 10 tribes, I think I word it here, they're torn, they're removed, but it's only temporary. Okay, they're, they're removed, but it's only temporary because when do we see them together again? James is talking about it, right? To the 12 tribes scattered abroad. We're going to see them again reunited in the messianic kingdom of God. So we have that Genesis all through their history um, to words. Okay, have I lost anybody yet? No? Well, we're going to keep turning. Isaiah chapter 49. But you, you can't just step in step into James and be like, oh yeah, I remember those, those guys that stood around Joseph in those robes and he had that, that fancy coat on. And oh, I understand what James is writing about. You can't, can't just step in that way, right? You have to see this whole program. And uh, we, may, we may get through all of it, we may not, but you have, it, have the notes there. Isaiah 49, I'm just beginning in verse 5. And Isaiah is, is just prophetically... I mean, the Holy One of Israel, you read through Isaiah, and I mean, he's preaching Christ in the Messianic kingdom everywhere. Holy One of Israel, Christ. Servant, Christ, right? Uh, verse 5. And now the Lord says to me, okay, so we're going to have a prophetic, uh, this is speaking to Jesus, who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob, or Israel, back to him, so that Israel is gathered to him. For I shall be glorious in the eyes of the Lord, and my God shall be my strength. Indeed, he says, it is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also give you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be my salvation. From what? Right? Isn't that going to be a common prayer? Salvation from what? From being scattered. From being oppressed. From being separated. God's going to gather them, rescue them from, from being scattered, and bring them into this messianic kingdom. Right? The salvation to the ends of the earth. And wasn't that what Jesus was doing? His message in Matthew 4.17 was, Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. All right, elsewhere he says, the kingdom is before you. Like, I mean, it's, I, I've laid it out for you guys. I am the king, right? Jesus, the, the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm Christ, the anointed chosen one. I am here. He, he had come to do that, but they rejected him. All right. 
we're going to step into Ezekiel. And I, I really find it kind of feeling bad that we're going quickly, but um, Ezekiel chapter 20. Ezekiel chapter 20 speaks to God restoring Israel. All right, Ezekiel chapter 20 speaks to an event that the, the Jewish audience, um, I'm going to say, was anticipating. Um, Ezekiel chapter 20 here in the verses that we're looking at, verse 33, talks about Jesus judging just before the thousand-year kingdom comes in. The seven-year seven tribulation there, um, goes at a, at a close. We have the final, the, the battle there that it's at the end. And then we have about 75 days where Jesus, Matthew 24 and 25, judges Israel and the nations. And Ezekiel, writing right around that same time, right back in, we'll say five, 586, they're captured. So, so right around that area, okay, in time, he's, he's prophetically letting them know about this coming messianic kingdom, this coming king, this coming judgment. The Jew understood this very, very well. Verse 33, title says, God will restore Israel. As I live, says the Lord God, surely with a mighty hand, with an outstretched arm, and fury poured out, I will rule over you. God's saying, there's come to a point there, there where I am going to be on my throne, and you are going to be ruled. Right? We know that's going to happen in the Messianic kingdom. I will bring you, right, the, the 12 tribes of Israel, I will bring you out from the peoples and gather you out of the countries where you are scattered with a mighty hand and with outstretched arm and with fury poured out. This is Israel's covenant promise. This is looking forward to the new covenant messianic kingdom. And I will bring you into the wilderness of the peoples and there I will plead my case with you face to face. Because Israel, not all of it had been faithful. Through the tribulation, that's all purging and judging of Israel for rejecting who? Rejecting Christ. Rejecting God's. Um, Just as I pleaded my case with your fathers in the wilderness of the land of Egypt, I will plead my case with you, says the Lord God. <laughs> Israel, I will make you pass under the rod. I will bring you into the bond of covenant Speaking to Jesus' judgment, I will purge the rebels from among you and those which transgress against me. I will bring them out of the country where they dwell, but they shall not enter the land of Israel. Then you will know that I am the Lord. If you're taking notes, just put Zechariah 14 beside there. Because Zechariah 14 talks about Jesus judging the Gentiles that reject him in that tribulation. And their eyes are dissolving in their sockets. And their tongues are, are rotting out of their mouths. There's some sort of plague, like, like, like rejecting him in the tribulation. You don't get to go into the kingdom. Jesus deals with that. Um, so there's a seriousness there. So we've got the judgment. The Jew understood that there's a judgment. If you will just skim over here, but turn to Exodus 40. Or, sorry, Ezekiel 40. This steps into one of the most fascinating and yet skipped over texts, uh, I, I truly believe, um, in Scripture. From Ezekiel chapter 40 to 48, guess what? You have a picture of the new, now we can't even say that, 
We have a picture of the new city called Yahweh Shammah built where Jerusalem is now in the Messianic kingdom. Now, the reason why I can't say New Jerusalem is because we know that comes later, Revelation 21 and 22. So this is a new city, right after the tribulation, after that 75-day period, we have Jesus rebuilding a new city. I guess you can't really rebuild a new city. He's building a new city, right, called Yahweh Shammah, and I'll show you here in a second. But we're going to skim. It begins in in Ezekiel chapter 40, but we're going to move... I skipped a line, that's okay. We're going to move ahead to chapter 47. And I just want you to check some of the the titles. It's laying out instructions um, for that messianic kingdom time. Ezekiel 47, verse 21. We'll catch up here. This applies to to the actual kingdom. 40 to 44 is about the temple. But here we have in verse 21... Thus you shall divide the land among yourselves according to the tribes of Israel. One more verse there, if you just turn to the end of the chapter, the very last verse, 48, verse 35. Well, even 31. The gates of the city shall be named. Yeah, let's read that. 30 and 31. These are the exits of the city on the north side, measuring 4,500 cubits. This is that new city that we're talking about in the Messianic kingdom. The gates of the city shall be named after the tribes of Israel. All right, and it goes through listing, right? Uh, But the last verse there, all the way around shall be 18,000 cubits, and the name of the city from that day shall be the Lord is there. Yahweh Shammah. Now, why this is so fascinating, because... You know, I, I've lived all my life thinking, okay, well, what is the Messianic kingdom going to be like? You know, what, what, how is it going to be set up? And you have eight chapters here, right, of what the temple's going to look like, what the, what, and then what the kingdom, how it's going to be measured. Sorry, we've got to go back. <laughs> uh, just, just humor me, and this is, this is part of me learning how to teach, too. Um, Ezekiel 34. And, and, and I, I, have to, I have to just be uh, at peace there that uh, you've got the text there before you. Um, Ezekiel 34, verse 23. I will establish one shepherd over them and he shall feed them. This is talking about in the kingdom. Who's the shepherd that's going to feed them? My servant David. All right, it says, my servant David, he shall feed them and be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David, a prince among them, I, the Lord, have spoken. So you're going to have Jesus on the throne, and you're going to have David serving as a prince in this messianic kingdom. Fascinating, right? If you read through, I think it's the last, last part of it, it might be right around um, Ezekiel 46 or 47, it talks about the, the division of land and how David gets that um, as well. Just turning the page to verse 21 down through 28, and we won't, we won't read that through that. Well, yeah, we won't read down through that, but that's the promises there. All right, so all this being said, Jewish anticipation. Was it about this life? No, they're, all, they're always looking forward to the coming kingdom, right? The, the anticipation was continually in this hope 
right? That the, the, the Messiah is coming, that the, the kingdom is going to come, and all this life is going to be done away with. So turn with me to Acts chapter 1, and uh, we'll, we'll look to land this plane. Acts chapter 1. What the Jewish anticipation um, was messianic, was, was the temple. Acts chapter 1, we read it last week. They asked a question in verse 6, these Jewish apostles. Um, standing there, I mean, it's death, burial, resurrection of Christ, um, our salvation, that's how we, we have that relationship with God. But they asked this question in verse 6. Therefore, when they had come together... Jewish Jesus, Messiah, Christ, Lord Jesus Christ resurrected, and Jewish apostles. There, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And they have the scriptures. Like they, they, they knew Ezekiel. Right? They know the temple. They know, they know the land. They know the divisions. Right? They know it, it's, it's, it's a real, real question here. Matthew chapter 19. I need you to turn there. That, that's a must. That's, you have to turn there to make this point. <laughs> Matthew chapter 19. Anticipation. Lord, are you going to restore this kingdom that's promised Abraham? You know, it has been anticipated for the last 2,000 years, right? This is before the cross. Jesus is, is teaching, the rich young ruler comes, and he's like, what, what must I do for an inheritance in the kingdom? Right? It's, it's, uh, but verse 23, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Assuredly I say to you, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Why would it be hard for a rich man? Because they like their things. Right? They, they, they don't want to leave. They don't want to commit themselves to Christ because they'll, they'll lose their, their possessions. They'll lose their wealth. The, sorry, I was reading somewhere. Um, when, when Jerusalem fell in AD 70, the, the people that were in the city trying to escape were swallowing gold so that when they escaped the city, right, they, they were taking their treasures with them. And the sad thing is that when the Romans figured that out, guess what? They were just opening bellies. Every time they saw a Jew, because they knew how, I'm saying it's greed and, and, and just the, the power of money, Right? They, they, they were killing Jews and, and opening them up just for the, the money. So that's, that's kind of part of the, the picture here. I mean, the, the wealth consumes you. It's your life. They're not willing to commit to Christ here. And again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And we see that even in our own. I mean, I'd have to leave these things to commit my life to Christ. No, thank you. All right? But read with me. When his disciples heard it, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? Saved from what? Rome? Right? From being scattered from Judaism and the religious you know, nonsense that was going on there? Right? From, from their sins is definitely part of that picture. Right? But who then can be saved and, and, and gain and enter this kingdom? But Jesus looked at them and said to them, with men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Then Peter answered and said to him, See, we have left all and followed you. Therefore, what shall we have? This is all about inheritance. What, what am I going to get in the kingdom? 
What am I going to get for leaving all and committing my life fully to Christ? Right? We're looking for the kingdom, Jewish anticipation. So Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, Peter, Jewish apostle, and I'm sure he's talking to the other apostles too, right? That in the regeneration or the renewal, which is what the, the kingdom's going to be, it's going to be a renewal, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, where's that throne going to be? In that new city, right? Yeah, Yahweh Shammah, right? He's going to be sitting on that earthly throne, right? We'll also sit, pardon me, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Now we see that, right? They've been left, right? They split, torn, disappear for a bit. But as James is writing there, to the 12 tribes scattered abroad, guess what's coming to mind here? That uniting, that, that kingdom. The apostles are going, yeah! You know, like this is what we're getting. That, that this, we're, we can't wait, we can't wait. Wait, and there's more, right? Because this applies to us as well, right? And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake... Right, you're forsaken. You, you, you just, okay, you know what? I'm not, I'm not going to worry about this life. I'm going to commit myself fully to Christ and His church, to a life of obedience. Shall receive how much? Hundredfold. So, I mean, whatever you're losing, leaving the world, guess what? Times that by a hundred. Right? It's going to be saved a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. Those treasures in heaven are for the kingdom. Those, those, those payments, those rewards are for the kingdom. So whatever you lose in this life, guess what? Times that for a hundred. For the kingdom that's coming. That inheritance, eternal life. That's not talking about a, a relationship with God here. That's talking about kingdom life. You're inheriting right, the, quality, or the, the quality of life in the, the kingdom. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. Can we see that importance there? Everything is future. Everything is looking forward to that coming kingdom. We don't worry about the idea of of losing, let's say, our job, or losing our our wealth. These various trials and testings of our faith now, why is that? Because we're going to receive a hundredfold when we stand before the judgment seat and, 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 and take our place in the kingdom. And that's, that's our joy, that's our encouragement, that is our, our connection here. So nobody panic, we're not going gonna, not gonna to finish um, the notes there. But I do just want to read down. It said, so what must happen for us today before the kingdom comes? Right, what is the next thing we're anticipating? It's the rapture. What follows the rapture? The judgment seat of Christ. Okay? So that's very, very important. Um, What is a believer judged for at the judgment seat? It's our works. We're believers. We're already there. Right? Like once you place your faith in Christ and what He did on Calvary, He paid the price for my sin. Lord Jesus, forgive me and be my Savior. You're going to stand before Him. Right? No one can take that from you. But you are going to stand, 1 Corinthians 3, and be judged for how you lived this life. 
Is suffering for Christ commanded? Right? And, and, and just humor me, turn to James, and, and, and I promise we'll, we'll land this. James chapter 1. Is suffering commanded for Christ? And the answer is yes. Right? Those various trials are testings for our faith so that we're, we're going to be seen approved. Right? We're going to have those things um, worked out of us when? When we stand before Christ. How does a believer receive an inheritance for the kingdom? Well, it's obeying our call. So when, when does James chapter 1, verse 4, last part of that verse, take place? Right? It says, My brother, count it all joy when you fall into various trials or testing, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. But let patience have its perfect work that you may be, its future, perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If the next event that's happening is the rapture and then we stand before Christ, we understand that these testings of our faith, right, that's building endurance as we obey, right, that, that's, that, that, that's building our faith, that we will stand before Christ and pass through not lacking anything. Right? So these things we're supposed to welcome so that we're, we're pure when we stand before that judgment seat. And we're honored with that. Just look at verse 9. Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation. When is the, the lowly, poverty-stricken, persecuted Christian going to be exalted? In this life? No, it's when he's standing before Christ. He's going to be lifted up and the rich can have what they want. The, the, the lowly man's going to be exalted. Verse 12, and, and I'm just trying to, to catch this so that, that we can re read down through chapter 1 and next week we'll step into this. Uh, Blessed is the man who endures testing now for when he has been approved. And I may even have to look at that word because our faith and our works is tested in that furnace, isn't it, Lawrence? Right? So this is, this is, this is speaking there to uh, standing before him. Blessed is the man who endures the testing, passes through. For when he has been approved by those fires at the judgment seat of Christ, he will receive the crown of life. Right? That, that inheritance, that reward, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. And I think we'll just, just end there important for us to grasp the accountability it's important for us to grasp that even as we're we're going through let's say the the covid and the the things the inconveniences now guess what god is calling us to that and there is going to be a payment there is going to be a reward there's going to be an honor for that afterwards various trials and testings i think we're all going to probably fill in there a few there but at the bottom of the sheet i read through the this isn't pridefully, um, read through the New Testament and just, just outline, you'll see it highlighted there, the last three lines, all the various trials that your Lord Jesus Christ on his throne called them to go through. And as he called them to go through, if you're, if you're bored or, or hungry in that way, read through and see the, the outcome of that. Because each one of those passages talks about standing before Christ at the judgment seat and receiving because you gave him your life now. And that's such an encouragement. So I, I, hope, I hope this would help our study. And I hope that's an encouragement this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, um, 
these truths and connecting these dots certainly don't make us going through these things any easier. Lord, um, Lord, I pray that, that we would see a bigger picture um, as we approach your word. Lord, when I think of the Jews and what they were going through, and, and I mean, it, Jewish persecution has been throughout all of humanity since you called that nation. But Lord, your promise of the coming hope, the coming kingdom, Lord, was always before them. Even as James writes, it was standing in your presence, knowing that, that, that your kingdom was coming. So I pray that you would help us read these things. I pray that as we're going through um, the testings, various tribulations, as First Peter says, Lord, as we're going through the inconvenience of even just our day-to-day, Lord, we recognize that if we're faithful now, Lord, you're, you're, you're faithful then. And uh, Lord, I pray that you would lift our eyes to the things of you. And help us just to, to study through these things. Lord, we have people all around us that, that think this life is about now and they're losing their minds. And I pray that we would be not just a breath of fresh air, but we would be a light and a testimony to yourself. And I pray these things in your name. Amen.